way past, and we came on down and got on Main Street, and as we made just a little bit of progress, we saw the same train. And so the train stopped us again. But we are grateful to God for having blessed us to make it here safely this morning. Uh, I'm grateful to see all of you. I'm delighted to see all of you. Uh, delighted to be here with you on this wonderful Lord's Day morning. I understand that uh, we are speaking on a family theme today. Uh, and from uh, Wednesday, how many of you brought your Bibles with you? Okay, you hold your Bible up, please. Okay. All righty. Now, you might have already had this done. How many of you have a red Bible? If you have a red Bible, hold it up, please. Okay. All righty. I see some people not raising your Bible. You don't have a red Bible? I want you to turn in your Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. Now, this is a passage that is familiar to all of us. It's one of those Old Testament passages that really makes a deep impression on our minds and hearts. So we tend to remember this kind of narrative. 2 Samuel chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 14. Uh, read along with me, please. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing, save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay at his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. Anybody have a pet like that at home? I don't mean a lamb necessarily, but a cat, maybe, dog. No, no animal lovers in the audience? Okay, all right. We have a cat. Uh, he's just like one of the family. We made special provisions for him. Uh, when we left home, we had a special water purifier. His water ends up being purified twice because we run it through our purifier, and then we put it in his purifier, and so he has better water than we do. And sometimes he gets more attention from my wife uh, than I do. He's back, he's back, she's back in the back there when she's at home. And we, we've been feeding him special science diet for the last 17 years. And he still thinks he's a kid. And I don't know if that's true. The diet we've been feeding him with all the attention my wife has been lavishing upon him to the neglect of her husband. But he does get his little head rubbed and massaged a little 
we used to have a sign over a Latin bowl that said, uh, I am pampered, overfed, headed excessively, and spoiled rotten. I deserve better than this. <laughs> but as we get back to the story, there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was coming to him, but took the poor man's land and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that has done this thing shall surely die. He shall restore the land fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Can you see David listening with rapt attention? Nathan had captured his imagination. No doubt he was sitting on the edge of his chair as Nathan related the details of this account. And he was listening so attentively, and his heart was so touched, and he was so moved that his anger was greatly kindled against the villain in the parable. Uh, so much so that he immediately passed judgment on the insensitive and callous rich man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. I won't go into all of the details. I think I'll stop right here. Uh, I'm to stop at a part of two. Is that correct? According to my instructions. What is the point? David was afflicted by an optical malady that rendered him incapable of seeing himself because he was so busy looking at the rich man in the barrel. David could not see his own egregious transgression that had been perpetrated against Uriah because he was so busy looking at the injustice perpetrated by the rich man against the poor man in the parable that Nathan related. When we regard or look at what was done by the rich man against the poor man in the parable, in reality, this pales in comparison to David's own personal sin. But unfortunately, David was so busy looking at and focusing on the guilt of a rich man that he could not see his own guilt. 
course, in this regard, David has an innumerable company of kinfolk in our own generation who are afflicted by this very same malady. Oftentimes, we can see the faults, we can see the mistakes, we can see the sins of others, when at the same time, to a great degree, we are blinded to our own faults, to our own sins, to our own shortcomings. And what happens is we are so busy looking at the other person that we are rendered unable to clearly see ourselves. And I want us to keep this thought in mind uh, as we uh, share this special series of lessons uh, this week. And I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to start with verse number 1. Matthew chapter 7, verse number 1. Jesus here in the famous Son on the Mount teaches against hypocritical judgment. He says, judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This is the King, the King James here. And why do you look at the speck or moat in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Uh, moat and beam are used uh, in the King James Version. He says in verse number five, hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then will you see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And of course, what happens uh, so frequently as we live with each other and as we interact with each other and as we run each other the wrong way, uh, as we offend each other, and as we strive to get our own acts together, we tend to be more harsh and more exacting in judging others than we do ourselves. We don't tend to hold ourselves to the same standard that we hold our brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, children and parents to. And sometimes when we look at others, we can see the slightest and the most trivial or comparatively insignificant thoughts and shortcomings of those with whom we come into constant contact, and we are rendered incapable of seeing more serious problems, more serious faults, more serious shortcomings 
our own lives. In essence, we are so busy looking at the moat in our brother's eye that we can't see the beam in our own eye. And we're so busy looking at the speck in our brother's eye that we can't see the plank that is in our own eye. Now, Jesus, of course, is uh, using uh, great exaggeration, but he's trying to drive this point home. And, of course, his point is here, we should not be guilty of hypocritical judgment. He's saying not, uh, he's not prohibiting or proscribing all judgments because we are called upon to judge. In 1 Corinthians chapter, 5, chapter 5, uh, Paul in dealing with the ancestral man in that chapter, he was cohabiting with his father's wife. He commanded them, in essence, to judge the man that had done this thing. He said, Do you not judge those that are within? God judges those that are without. So there's nothing wrong with proper and appropriate judgment. We make judgments all the time. Some people will resort to this passage and try to say, well, you don't have a business judging me. Uh, you, don't, you shouldn't pass judgment on me because Jesus says, judge not, that you be not judge. But this is a distortion of the real meaning of what Jesus is saying here in this passage. Jesus is actually prohibiting hypocritical judgment. Uh, he says to uh, the individual who has the plank in his eye, he says, I need to get your own act together. You need to make the proper changes in your own life. You need to take whatever remedial measures need to be taken with your own life, uh, and then you can see clearly to help out your brother who is not in as bad a shape as you are at this present time. So you're disqualified uh, from actually and accurately judging your brother. You remember over in Galatians chapter 6, uh, Galatians chapter 6, Paul says, If a brother be overtaken of a fault, ye that are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering myself, lest thou also be tempted. Uh, if a man or brother be overtaken in a fault or a trespass, ye who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness or meekness, considering yourself lest you also uh, be tempted. Uh, the same concept is here. But so, so, so many times uh, we are so busy looking at the other person that we can't see what we need to see with reference to our own lives. Now, I want to ask you a question. As we think about the, the concept of the speck and the plank, the concept of the broken beam, and we go back to David. Now, we say David was, uh, uh, he couldn't see for looking. He was so busy looking at the injustice perpetrated by the rich man in the parable that he could not see his own very serious transgression. Uh, in connection with his sin with Bathsheba uh, and the sin he perpetrated against Bathsheba's husband. Now, 
question is, the question is this, when you compare the rich man with numerous words of in the parable, and David, who had a number of wives and a number of other possessions that uh, gave him a considerable advantage over Uriah and had only one wife. Now, as it relates to the rich man's in the parable, and David, as you compare the two, in whose eye was the speck, and in whose eye was the plank, in whose eye was the moat, and in whose eye was the beast. Let me get a hand. Uh, don't everybody answer at once. Don't everybody raise your hand at once. Let me get that one hand. Can I get a hand? Okay, that's a hand right there. Yes, sir. In whose eye was the uh, speck or the moat? It would be the, the little farmer, the little guy with the white beard. Or the Uriah. Okay, now, we're going to give the clear understanding of the question. You're comparing uh, the rich man in the parable to David. You're comparing the rich man and David. One had the moat or the speck in his eye. The other had the beam or the plank in his eye. So who had the plank in his eye? David. David. David had the plank in his eye. Uh, who had the beam in his eye? I mean, who had the speck or the moat in his eye? The rich man. Yes, sir. Especially as we're dealing in marriages. Uh, I had just this 
intention of Honorable Counsel Lee with reference to the beam on the print that is in that particular person's eye. Because I might have a print in my ear, and my wife might have been telling me that, but I dismissed her assessment. I'm not saying that literally I've been dismissing her assessment, but sometimes I thought it was bad. But that is that tendency. Yes, sir? Because a lot of people want to be a health inspector. Okay. And usually people that sign up for that job, it's almost a given that they have a point in their eye. So that's always one of the things to be cautious about. But if you find somebody that's not bent, you know, I'm looking for false evidence, a lot of times that can be a helpful person to figure in. You know, why can be helpful. Hopefully somebody who's spiritual in the congregation, you know, can be helpful. I think, too, I was thinking about 2 Corinthians 15.5. Paul said, try your own self. Prove your own self. So there should be a sense in which we do try to use God's word and say, okay, you know, I'm being about Scripture. I mean, like I'm here. And we look at that and say, I know I'm not perfect, but let me find the roughest edges and, you know, continue to try to refine those and knock those down. And by reflecting on what Scripture says, trying to apply that and help from some other folks, we should be reasonable about that. Okay. I appreciate that. You said a very, a line is very short period of time, sir. A good point. Black fellow found the goat chewing on one of his favorite flowers. You took the words right out of his mouth. You took the words right out of my mouth. Well said. And what he's doing is he's placing the responsibility flat down on us. Paul in 2 Corinthians 13.5 admonishes us to examine our own selves. And there are some other things I can say about self-examination, but that is something that we need to always do. And the more unspiritual we are, the less likely we are to want to examine and judge our own selves. One of the things about self-judgment that is good, when we judge our own selves and then proceed to take remedial measures or corrective steps to bring our lives in proper alignment with the Word of God, then we preclude and preempt the need for others to judge us. And this is what Paul indicates in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that if we'll judge ourselves, we might need not be judged. But we have said in connection with the taking of the Lord's Supper, that every man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and let him drink of that cup. But he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So we are to judge ourselves. It is a wonderful thing and an expression of wisdom for us to be able to objectively examine ourselves and judge ourselves. And then we render the judgment of others unnecessary. If we can be discerning enough that we continually examine ourselves and test ourselves and take corrective measures to get back on the right track. I'm told that an airline flying from Chicago O'Hare Airport to the Nashville, Tennessee DNA Airport is off course about 90% of the time. My memory serves me properly. With this navigational equipment and all of that reduces that time of being off course. But they're constantly maintaining corrective measures, making assessments of where they are going. 
make sure that they pretty well stay on track so they can reach their destination uh, safely. Uh, in getting here uh, this morning, I had programmed into our Garmin uh, GPS unit the address to this place. And in coming over here, it caught and stopped and held up by those two trains. Uh, we came on back to past that last track. Uh, we were on the way on over here and uh, the young lady, the boss, that female boss telling me where to go. <laughs> I was in having a real significant amount. But uh, but she she said she she re recalculated, recalculated. She detected that we were not going to get there going the way we uh, needed to go. So she directed us to take a left uh, at fifth and then go to the next street and take another left and take a right. And my wife said, she know where she's going. <laughs> <laughs> she know what she's talking about. But she said, recalculate. And she told us immediately, uh, you know, she made an assessment. I mean, I know the system does it, you know, it's satellite uh, driven and all, but, but an assessment was made. And uh, she recalculated uh, and uh, told us what corrective measures to take and got us right back on track. A lot of people don't remember going this route, but she told me what she told <laughs> And sure enough, you know, she was telling us uh, to the tenth of a mile, you know, how far we were from here. And she said, don't go left. She said, you have a ride. I looked at my life, I said, you left. This girl knows what she's talking about. But I said that to say that we have the ability to uh, Examine ourselves, determine where we are, recalculate using God's word, God's word as the navigational guide, uh, the GPS system, as it were, get back on track and reach our destination uh, after a while. But, uh, but we do have the ability to examine ourselves. But some some persons have reached a state uh, that they have deluded themselves and deceived themselves in believing that they are okay. And they're walking around figuratively with a big plank in their eye. And they uh, are yet picking uh, and inspecting the, the specks and the moats that are in the eyes uh, of others. I have about three minutes left. Uh, but I, I want us to be able to, again, using the Word of God uh, as our mirror so that we can use another figure of speech to look in the mirror and be able to see ourselves as we really are and use the word of God to make whatever correcting, uh, correction rather that needs to be made uh, in order to bring ourselves into in proper alignment with God's will. When it comes to not being able to see ourselves clearly because we are looking uh, at something else. And I want to just share a few things with you in the last uh, remaining minutes here. Some can't see the indescribable treasure of heaven through the eyes of faith because they're so preoccupied with looking at the superficial, mundane, and comparatively worthless things of the earth. Many can't see the serious needs of others because they're so preoccupied with looking 
after own selfish needs. In Philippians 2, 4, Paul says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. The prodigal son's uh, brother could not see his own personal sins uh, of the spirit, pride, self-righteousness, unforgiveness, ingratitude, insolence, envy, uh, and rebellion, uh, selfishness. He couldn't see these personal sins of the spirit in his own heart and life because he was so busy looking at his brother's sins of the flesh. Oftentimes, we can't see our sins of bitterness, covetousness, envy, hatred, malice, prejudice, pride, unforgiveness, because we are so fixated on looking at the fornication, the thievery, the murder, the drunkenness of the world. And frequently, we can't see our bountiful blessings because we're so busy looking at our blights, our blocks, our brokenness, our bruises, and our bumps. Many of us can't see our talents, trumps, and triumphs because we're so busy looking at our temptations, our tragedies, our trials, and <coughs> our troubles. Many of us can't see our advantages because we're so busy looking at our adversities. Many of us can't see our dividends because we are so busy looking at our defeats. But we want to ever be capable of honestly, openly, and objectively being able to see the goodness of God and the grace of God. And yet we should be able to examine ourselves and see where we are off track, and see what mistakes that we need to correct, see what areas uh, there are in which we can improve, that we can bring our lives more fully into alignment with God. Let us not be guilty as was David, uh, so busy that he couldn't see for looking 